Well, we'll go ahead and get started here. Um, if you didn't get a handout, there's one in the back corner there. Uh, you can grab one if you would like. And i um, going to begin with a word of prayer from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, going to be praying there from verse 14, verses 16 through 18, and verse, verse 23. So let's begin in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you are faithful to us and you determine to demonstrate your faithfulness through us to others. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us as your servants to, to admonish the idle, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, to be patient with all, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstance, knowing that you are God who is sovereign over all, and that you yourself, by your presence, would sanctify us in every circumstance, so that our whole spirit, soul, and body can be kept blameless for your coming. So we pray this would be true in our lives and through our lives. Specifically now we pray as we minister to those who are going through loss. We ask now in Christ's name, amen. I would encourage you, if you have your notes, take your notes and jot on the very top one word. I would encourage you to jot the word that comes to your mind when you are walking into the ICU or when you're walking into a hospice room or you're walking into a, a, a home following a loss. What, what one word describes your mind, your heart, as you're parking outside of that house, as you're parking outside of the emergency room, as, you are, as you're getting ready to go into hospice, what word comes to your mind as you pastorally or as a servant of Christ in any role are getting ready to walk into a time of loss. What comes to your mind? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What, what is it that you're experiencing? I would encourage you to take just a second, jot that one word down. I'm not gonna, you're not going to share it later, so you don't have to be worried about that. There's not a trick later on. I would imagine there's a wide range of emotions that go through our minds and hearts when we go through a time of loss. Here's the reason why I'm asking you to jot that down is at the end of our uh, discussion time, I'm hoping that maybe there will be something that God has brought to your mind that you can jot down next to that word that helps give you traction or encouragement in your pastoral or your ministry responsibilities from our time together today. And maybe there won't be anything, but I'm hoping there is something. My goal this afternoon is that I want to do a bit of a case study of my own ministry very briefly. And that is the way I approached loss in the first 27 years of my ministry, which now I look back and I hear myself speak and I think to myself, oh, Tori, buddy. I mean, there are things that I shared that I'm now going, I can't believe I shared that. There, there are ways that I function that now I look back and I go, bless their hearts. <laughs> my people were so kind to me. Things that I now would never do again, but I didn't know it. And you don't know what you don't know. One illustration comes to my mind. My late wife, Jolene, and I led a young couple to the Lord, Joe and Maria Weller. Joe was probably about 24. Maria was 20. They had two small children, sat around their dining room table, led them to, the, to, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And um, less than a year later, 
Maria at the age of 20, carrying groceries into the house, collapsed in her driveway and passed away immediately. They, I, I did the funeral, and at the end of the funeral, we were in the community center of the town, and we were downstairs in the basement of the community center doing a reception for the family and for friends. And Joe, who had just buried his 20-year-old wife and was left to be a single parent to uh, two small children, was in the little kitchen there just weeping uncontrollably and not to be too graphic, but was also um, sick to his stomach from time to time. And my heart went out to him. I really love Joe. But I remember I went up to him and I put my hand on his shoulder and I tried to calm him and I gently confronted him. I can't believe I did this. You're going to shake your head and it's good that you shake your head because what I'm going to tell you I did, don't ever do. I put my hand on his shoulder and I went, now Joe, you need to settle down. You need to settle down because your anxiety is not honoring to the Lord. Well, I look at that now and I cringe at what I said and how I shepherded in time of loss. Now, I would like to think I've learned some things different. September 1, 2020, the Lord in his wisdom took my late wife, Jolene, to be with him suddenly in a traffic accident. And I still can remember lying on the floor in the bedroom of a family in our church as they sought to care for me and all of the things that I was feeling and thinking and experiencing and how there was a, an awareness in even just three hours after my wife's passing, I had no clue. I was thinking things. I was feeling things. I was now responsible for things. I was going to face things. And I'm like, I never, I never thought of that. I was not aware of that. I never would have put that down on my to-do list. So I, my, my goal is to share four things this afternoon. That is, my goal is to share the fountain of grace that nourishes pastoral care, realities people in loss are experiencing that you have to pay attention to, common missteps of care that it's important to avoid, and best practices that nourish the whole person. When uh, Dr. Doran asked me if I would share this workshop, I remember expressing to him my concern that I didn't want it to just be Tory giving his opinions. Nobody really needs Tory's opinions. So what would be a platform for this? And it, of course, drove me back to scriptures. And so I want to begin very quick, uh, very briefly to observe, uh, to make three observations from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you'd be willing to look at that with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I just want to make three observations from verses 3 through 7 as a theological foundation for how we minister to people going through loss. I'm going to read this text for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. 
want to just make three observations from this text. First of all, first observation is there's a parallelism happening in verse 3. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to talk about the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. As we look at this, we see that there's a parallel between the Lord Jesus Christ and mercies and comfort. There, there is a provision that God has given for all comfort, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. So my first observation is this. God's gift of mercy and comfort are fully provided for through Jesus Christ and applied in the sending of His Holy Spirit. So God's gift of mercy and comfort are fully, He's the God of all comfort. So you're not going to face anything in your ministry, whether you're a pastor or a member of the church, that is not fully provided for as God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and as through Christ, there is the sending of the Holy Spirit. Let let me try and state this truth negatively and positively. Negatively, there is no genuine comfort and mercy apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no genuine comfort or mercy apart from Jesus Christ. Everything else is a shallow substitute. It is a well that will run dry. And we are called to bring the nourishment that will last through every circumstance. So positively, all comfort and mercy a person will ever need is found only only and fully in the Lord Jesus Christ as ministered to us through the Holy Spirit. One of the tasks I never thought of when my late wife passed was all of the business details I had to do. Changing of titles, changing of utilities, the, the dealing with, with bank accounts and credit cards and insurance. And I spent hours and hours and hours on the phone in the days that followed my late wife's passing. And every single time their customer service kicked in, I really was quite amazed. It was almost 100% where they would say, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I appreciated that statement. I really did. But the end of each one of those conversations, as an unsaved lost person, they would roll out the best that they had. And every single time I was aware, our world has no hope. They brought their best to me. And it sounded a lot like, keep your chin up. Things are going to get brighter soon. Think positive thoughts. You got this. And then, of course, I'd always say thanks, hang up the phone, and be heartbroken by the fact they had no comfort. They had no hope. They had nothing, nothing to offer. But we do. We have the Lord Jesus Christ through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, which can bring and will bring comfort and mercy for every circumstance. So that is the first observation. The second observation I have is that through this, there is a fellowship of comfort that is taking place. And you see this, and you've already studied this, and you know this, but in this passage, there is, we are experiencing comfort, and as we are experiencing comfort, what are we then able to do? We are then, so then, we are able to offer comfort to others. So as we experience the gospel grace of comfort in our own lives, we are now enabled to offer gospel grace in the lives of others. 
You see that there? He comforts us so that we may be able to comfort in any affliction. What are we going to comfort with? With the comfort we ourselves are comforted by God. So as we are receiving gospel, grace, comfort in our own lives, God is preparing us to be enabled to offer gospel, grace, comfort to the people around us in any affliction. In any affliction. We, we have, through God's grace, what it takes. Here, here's the second principle. The second principle is this. We are equipped to provide care only by first experiencing gospel grace in our life before we can effectively extend gospel grace to those who are hurting. Let me unpack this. Again, I want to say it negatively, and I want to say it positively. Negatively, you don't have to experience every pain and loss that your congregation will experience. You don't have to experience every pain or loss your congregation experiences in order for you to shepherd them through pain and loss. Okay, you'd be like, well, I've never lost my spouse. So I guess I'm not qualified to shepherd and minister comfort to that person because I've never gone through that. No, no, no. You have in experiencing the inflow of God's grace in your trials you are experiencing reliance upon gospel grace and it is that reliance that enables you to now touch lives that are hurting. Okay, let me state it positively. You do have a personal pattern. This is something you need to have. A personal pattern of seeking comfort for the pain and loss in your life from the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be able to minister to others. All right, let, let, let me make this, let me try and make it even more practical. You need to be careful personally of grace divorced patterns of dealing with loss. What do I mean by grace divorced patterns? Grace divorced patterns are responses to difficulty and loss that we have that don't demand that we throw ourselves in utter reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ and his provision. For me, a year and a month and a half ago, it was my late wife going to be with the Lord. For you, it may be the loss of a job. For you, it may be an upheaval in your church and a split. For you, it may be uh, an illness, the loss of a parent. I don't, I don't know what it is, but when you face loss, understand God has you in an important moment. Don't waste it. God has you in a moment to see the grace that he is providing for you in that moment. And it is the process of resting in his grace that prepares you to help somebody else to rest in his grace. So for me, I look back and I can see in my life gospel divorced patterns of dealing with difficulty. What were some of them? Um, Run to people and not to God for comfort and affirmation. I talked to all, everybody. God's kind of like, hello, I'm ready to be there for you. But I talked to everybody under the sun, but not to him. 
And in that pattern of my life, I, am, I was not learning reliance upon the Lord for His grace the way that I needed to. What's another one? Human distractions. Um, Deepak dealt with this very well. It's okay to have, Dr. Doran did earlier, it's okay to have some distractions. I enjoy the NFL. That's a great thing to do. But I do look back and I see patterns in my life where when I face difficulty, I dealt with those by going to distractions rather than facing and leaning into the hard time that I had as demanding that I rest wholly and fully on the Lord for that circumstance. I don't know what you may be facing, but I would encourage you to think about this. What you are facing is an opportunity for you to learn the gospel grace that is provided for that trial. And as you rely upon the Lord for that gospel grace, you are being equipped to minister comfort to those that are around you. Okay? He comforts us in all of our affliction. Why? So that, so that we are able to share so that we are able to share in the afflictions and the suffering, but also the comfort and the patient endurance. So there's affliction. We see this demonstrated in the context of the passage. There's sufferings that we suffer, yet in the middle of all of this real, honest-to-goodness hardship of life, we share abundantly. There's a fellowship now that takes place in Christ's suffering. So through Christ, we share abundantly and comfort too. And what's the purpose for this? Well, the purpose is so that we would patiently endure. So that we would continue to firmly trust God in every circumstance. So third observation, I'm almost done preaching. God has called us to fellowship in others' suffering and affliction, not merely treat their sufferings and afflictions. So when there's a loss that's taking place in your congregation, God is calling you to enter into fellowship with their suffering, not to be like your doctor who is separated from your pain and difficulty and it's something that you're enduring alone. God is calling us as his ministers to enter in and to partner with them in the middle of that suffering. What does this look like? Well, negatively, God does not want you merely to impersonally dispense truths as platitudes. God hasn't called you to do that. Where you just, I got five truths that I throw out there. It took me about 15 minutes. I still can make it home in time for dinner. Okay, that's not what God has. Positively, God wants you to fellowship in the pain of others just as you fellowship in the truth with others. Truth with love is fellowship. And I see this pictured in communion. God designed communion. And in communion, there is a tangible sensory reality of we touch the bread, we hold the juice, we see it, we feel it, we smell it. We taste it. And in communion, God has called us to enter into a tactile experience. And in that tactile experience, God is calling us at the same moment to enter into the highest of highs and into the lowest of lows. In that moment, I am experiencing the fact that my wickedness drove the second person of the Godhead to death 
on the cross. And in that same moment, his death and resurrection is for my eternal rescue and acceptance. And so in that moment, I'm experiencing both of those. God created communion to be something that is to be experienced. And we're experiencing simultaneously both. And I think there's a principle there that I think can be helpful to us as we look at practical ways that we seek to nourish during uh, times of suffering. I'm going to come back to the communion uh, reality in just a little bit. Gospel nurturing, nurturing means that you enter into the fellowship of feeling, the affliction, and the suffering with others. It's what Deepak was talking about with sympathy. As you together patiently endure. How do you patiently endure? By constantly running to the promises of God over and over and over again. You do it, they do it, you help them do it, they help you do it. You're running to the source of confidence, and that is the Word of God. Pastoral nurturing is the personal, active, present tense journey with those who are suffering. It's not something that is something that is assigned. It is entering into a journey with them. In other words, it's, this is a nurturing that is not the practice of merely giving right answers, but walking with them through the lengthy battle of making those answers a reality in the moment that they're living. Okay? I didn't see that. I'll be honest with you. Before the loss of my late wife, I honestly viewed shepherding through loss as giving great truths for them to go and to trust on their own, and I didn't enter into it with them. That's probably one of the biggest things that I have learned is that entering in. Well, let me real quickly, because uh, I'm hoping to wrap this up so if you have any questions um, that I can maybe answer, I'd love to have a chance for that. Number two, realities people in loss are experiencing that you may need to pay attention to. I wrote down the ones that I have learned in the past 13 and a half months that I didn't know about before. All right? This is not exhaustive. All right? I'm not an expert on counseling. I'm not an expert on, on physiological responses to loss. I'm just simply sharing things that I became aware of that I didn't know before. First one. Loneliness that is not solved by merely being around people, but by being known. Probably one of the first things that I thought of when my late wife passed was the fact that somebody who knew me from the age of 18, through dating, through marriage, through small children, teenagers, our kids leaving the home, both getting married, entering into ministry, Jolene knew me like no human being has ever known me. And it dawned on me, would I ever be known that way again? So when there's loss, I would encourage you not to, and there's loneliness. Loneliness isn't solved by just putting them with people. That was something that I learned. Sometimes you feel the most lonely around a lot of people. Instead, loneliness is dealt with by being in a context where you are being, you're at least sought to be fully understood. And um, the questions that uh, we heard from the last general session would be a huge part of that. There's a second one, disorientation, because of the loss of identity. Yes, I'm aware. There are identities that are foundational that never change. I am adopted by God. (laughs) I, I am a redeemed child of God. I get, I get my gospel identities. I get that. But don't, 
forget the fact that suddenly there are identity changes that they're navigating. So for the first time in 30 years, suddenly I was single. I was single. I I never anticipated that. We were planning for life together all the way through the golden years. And now all of a sudden, single. And everything that goes with that, with, okay, you couples, what do we do with Tori? And all of a sudden, it was a, it was a new thing to try to navigate. Be aware of that. Loneliness is not solved by simply being with people. It is by being with people who are seeking to understand. And understand that a person is going through an identity change. Life will never be the same again. The more significant the loss is, the more their identity is shifted. Okay? So be aware of saying things like, you'll get back to normal soon. They'll never be normal again. It's a new normal. Tory 1.0 is gone. Now it's Tory 2.0 or whatever it is. It's just a reality. So embrace that. Understand that they don't have this figured out. They're sitting there going, what in the world? And they're trying to navigate this new identity. How do I do that? So don't be frustrated with them. Ask questions. Ask them how they're feeling it and begin to walk through this new identity with them. They're experiencing relational strain. Changes in relationships. There are friendships that my late wife and I had together. These were friendships that were established by us as a couple and those relationships changed once Jolene was no longer a part of the equation. It's it's just, there's a strain that is there. there. There are people who... Uh, you, you just you grow through grief. I'm talking people who felt grief deeply. They, they navigate grief at different speeds, and there can be great um, there can be great tension that happens as people are navigating grief at different speeds. Be be aware of that. Mental confusion. I struggle with being able to read anything. I'd read and I get done, and I'm like, I have no clue what I just read. I had a hard time focusing. I had a hard time just, I'd be doing a text. I'm like, what is this text about? I forget. Who am I texting? So just be aware that this person is probably going through mental confusion. Remember that their faith is being challenged more than their knowledge of truth is being tested. It's probably not an informational problem. It is a dependence problem. I I had lots of answers. My struggle was not whether I had answers. My problem was, would I truly rest in the answers that I had? And that was a battle that was minute by minute, at least in those early days. Like, I got this settled for the 60 seconds I'm in. And then next minute, I got to face it again. Next hour, I got to face it again. The next morning, I got to face it again. The person that you're ministering to, they, they may have great answers. What they're struggling with is how to rest in the faithfulness and the promises of God. Some more. They're struggling with guilt. This is almost universal. They're struggling with guilt. Something they said, something that they didn't say, something they did, they didn't do. There's something as two fallen people have lived in a relationship together, whether it be parent and child or spouse or siblings or just a dear friend, there's something that has happened that they're probably struggling with guilt and it's very important for them to think about it accurately. Remember that loss can be a full-time responsibility. It can be a full-time responsibility. Like literally hours and hours spent on just dealing with 
legal names on titles of vehicles, uh, the deed to our house, credit cards, insurance, bank accounts. Spend hours and hours doing that. And it's just something you have to do. Uh, two days ago, um, a, a young man that I've known for years at the church in Arizona, uh, he lost his wife, 30 years of age, just 48 hours ago. I'm walking through this with him. And he's just like, I ne- had no clue the number of things I had to deal with. You, it just at the hardest moment in your life, you have to make more decisions than you probably ever made at any other time. And honestly, nobody else can. It's just a part of the journey. It's just a part of the journey. Another one, they're living with a dizzying array of emotions. A dizzying array of emotions. And, and this means that they're all over the place. And can I encourage you, understand that the person you're ministering to may literally within 60 seconds be at a point where they are sobbing uncontrollably and then maybe laughing at something that was funny. Don't view that as unstable. This is just the reality of what they're living with. And again, that's where I go back to communion. God is calling me in one moment to, with the bread and with the juice, I am experiencing the lowest of lows and I'm experiencing the highest of highs in the same moment. And that's a reality in grief. So don't be too frustrated with a person when you see huge vacillations of emotion. It's just reality, Okay. That doesn't mean that they're, that they're losing it. They may be experiencing terrible counsel. They may be experiencing horrible counsel. Uh, a friend of mine lost his wife. At the reception following his wife's funeral, a man in the church tried to set him up with another woman. And he came over and he's like, you would not believe what just happened. I was like, no, I don't believe it. It, it really happened. You wouldn't believe what people, well-meaning, well-meaning, and you're just like, seriously? They may be living with um, the heightened weight of expectations. This is a real one. People are like, I, I brought them this meal and they didn't eat that meal. They ate this other person's meal. Um, you know, I, I thought we were super close, but they're not texting me back as often as they're texting the other person back. It, why that is, don't know. It may be that the connection will be stronger in a week or in two weeks. But there is sort of an expectation that goes along with this moment of loss. I would encourage you, hold loosely your expectations for the person you're ministering to. Lower the expectations. Hey, here's some food. If you throw it in the dumpster, it's okay. If you eat it, that's great. Doesn't matter. Hey, I'm going to text you. NRN. No reply necessary. NRN. Don't, don't need to follow up with me. I'm just going to put out a scripture, a prayer, a song link. I'm just going to try and minister to you. But if you never read it or listen to me or get back or say thank you, it's okay. Be careful of expectations. They are needing affirmation as they process and embrace a new reality. Okay? <laughs> this is a huge one. Just cheer them on. You're doing a good job. Like you lived another day. You, you navigated today. Cheer them on. You would not believe how helpful it is when everything looks dark. If somebody comes along and just affirms, hey, you did a good job with that. And that can be a tremendous encouragement as they literally are just trying to put one foot in front of the other. Cheer, cheer them on, all right? They can use, um, they can use affirmation. Let's look now at some common missteps. 
This is me picking on myself here, all right? I'm not picking on anybody else. This is my previous pastoral ministry that I'm aware of. Uh, misstep one, allow your discomfort to become the expectation for their reality. Uh, perfectly illustrated with Joe. I was uncomfortable with his sobbing and being sick to his stomach. So my discomfort became the motivation that I should pastorally confront him. <laughs> Honestly, I was more concerned about me and my comfort zone than I was about really Joe and where he was in his trusting in the Lord. Be careful with that. Um, be very careful about what you bring to the table and say, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm not comfortable with the fact that, you know, uh, the, the photo that's being shown at the funeral has the dogs in it, and I'm not totally sure dogs should be shown in the sanctuary making stuff up. There's all kinds of bizarre things that can happen that people can navigate. Just don't go there, all right? Just uh, don't let your discomfort become the expectation for the reality. Secondly, allow public consensus to set expectation for them. But I think they should be over this by now. It just seems like they should be over this by now. And um, I know that there were times that I had this with my personality, sort of this idea of, all right, you've been crying now for a while. All right, it's time to knock it off. I'd smile. I thought it was gentle. And I was just being a jerk. (laughs) Here's a huge one. Manage them and try to fix them. Manage them and try to fix them. Um, when When there's a problem that's coming along, to say, okay, there's a problem, that problem, they're telling me this problem because they need it fixed. And, and I don't know how to build enough fences, so I'm just not going to worry about it. I will say this, it may be a problem that they do need to fix right then. I don't know how to house all the people coming in for the funeral. Great, fix it. That, that's good. But there can be things that are shared, and when they share them, pay attention, is this a problem that really is needing fixed or is this a person that is pouring out something that is hurting and they're just looking for somebody to hear and understand? just requires discernment. And, uh, but don't view them as, as a person to manage and fix. Uh, letting them know that if they need anything for them, just to call rather than calling. Okay? Don't do, hey, if you need anything, and let it be that. You can say that, hey, if you need anything, but... There needs to be an ownership on the part of the church to then follow up to find out if they do need something because they won't remember or they won't feel comfortable in sharing it. All right? Some more. Thinking that because you shared uh, the truth, you've comforted them. Well, I shared Romans 8, 28 with them. I don't know what the problem is. I mean, they should be fixed. I would say this next one is maybe one of the biggest ones. Talking too much and too soon. When you spend time with a person going through loss, become comfortable with silence and become very comfortable with them just talking and you're not totally sure what they're talking about because probably they're not totally sure what they're talking about. Just listen. One of the big problems is talking too soon. And talking too much. All right? I'm going to come back to some answers on this in the fourth one in just a minute. This, this next one is a huge one. If you're a pastor, yes, show up at the ICU. 
Yes, show up at the funeral home. Yes, show up at hospice. Yes, show up at the house. Show up at the hospital. Yes, show up. Be pastoral. That's very, very important. You are probably first touch. You may be even touch one, two, and three. But I would warn you, don't take on the role of providing as primary caregiver. Your job as a pastor is to equip and lead the church to be the primary caregiver. Okay? Now, there may be a circumstance where you and your spouse are are personally connected, and this is just what you want to do, and that's fantastic. But one of the things that I see happen with pastors is they become overwhelmed because they feel like they need to be the primary caregiver. As a shepherd, you're equipping the flock, you're setting up the flock to minister to people in loss. And you are, you're, you're, you're managing and you're helping encourage that. Lastly, perform pastoral duties for the funeral and then move on. That's a common misstep that I've done. Man, I, I nailed it at the funeral. Man, alive. I mean, nobody told me it was a great message, but I'm pretty sure it was. And I was terribly tender. And it's over. We've done the graveside. Everybody's gone home. Check. This is the way my brain works. I solved that problem. Way to go. Instead of thinking about the fact, no, they are now entering into a long journey. We need to enter into that long journey with them. All right? So those are some missteps. Let me do the last part, and then maybe we can chat about some of these things. What are some best practices? Um, Grief is a journey of spiritual warfare, so enter in with them long term. It's probably the number one takeaway from my recent uh, journey of loss is how that grief is first and foremost spiritual warfare. And, and it is spiritual warfare for our faith and for the glory of God. Am I going to trust God and rely upon Him and bring glory to Him through the loss that He has sovereignly placed in my life? So enter in with them and be very merciful about their doubts and about their struggles and about their anger. It's going to be messy. So understand that the spiritual battle that they are going through, enter in with them or have people in the church enter in with them and know that it's going to be long term. And I look back and I see people who just day after day were fellowshipping with me in the gospel graces that God provided. I began to keep in my journal all of the scriptures that people sent to me. I love that. For me personally, that was just one of the most amazing expressions of grace. I would go to bed at night, and there were about three different people every night I had scripture or a link to a truth-filled song. Man, I would, because I wasn't sleeping hardly at all, and I would read that scripture, and I would try to try to meditate on it and I would pray through it and I'd listen to that song and I would go over it over and over again. That was them helping be with me in the middle of the journey. Okay, join with them. Often speak the truth inductively. What do I mean by that? Rather than saying, hey, here's my answer for your problem, instead ask them, what is God teaching you right now? What is the area where you're maybe struggling with trusting God? What is the truth about God that you know, but you just are struggling with trusting it right now? What is something that somebody has shared that you are seeking to believe? Draw out from them. And this is, of course, assuming that they are believers. But draw out from them what God is doing in their heart and life. 
um, that you want to get them talking. Because as they talk, that's how they are processing grief. And as they are processing grief, that's them leaning into their grief, but they're leaning into it with faith. If you can facilitate gospel-based conversation, you're having a huge help in their healing. Thirdly, affirm their personhood. What do I mean by that? Just in your mind, think about what they're feeling. Just think about what they're going through. And try to walk with them as just a human being. It's, it, it's that idea of sympathizing with them. So, so, what is it that they are right now feeling? Or maybe even ask them. And if you're close enough and you've earned the trust, maybe they will talk about this. They'll talk about something that they're like, I never thought that there would be a time when everything that I had dreamt of on planet Earth that plan was gone in one moment. Poof, gone. Never, never to be again. Everything we'd worked toward, planned toward, sought, saved, everything, gone. And there's a period of time where you're just going through the reality of everything that I had yearned for is now gone. I can't go back to that anymore. That, that, that's a dream that is forever gone. So walk with them through that. You don't have to have a solution. Well, let me give you a new dream. No, 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 no. They're, they're not looking for a new dream yet. You can just simply listen and affirm. Ask them if it hurts. Affirm their personhood. Let them just be real and honest with you. Proactively take tender action. This is one of the the best things. A dear friend of mine, she lost her husband. And um, there was a whole group that put together a Facebook group, a private Facebook group that was just for her family's care. That was it. Just her family's care. So they would just talk about, hey, I'm taking them dinner tonight. I don't know if they need dinner tonight, but we're bringing dinner. There was a point person who was kind of managing that, brought a cooler over, put it on their front doorstep. And so when meals came, they didn't even ring the doorbell. They just simply texted, there's food in the cooler. There didn't even have to be interaction. They just, they just took action. But I say tenderly, don't overwhelm them either. It's a, it's a knife edge. And I don't know how to tell you other than just be wise, but... It may sound something like, hey, I'm planning on taking your kids to the youth activity because I don't know that you can get them there unless you tell me otherwise. That lets them push back and go, eh, I've got a plan already. And you can be like, okay, great. But you're coming with solutions to them because they're, they're mentally muddled. They probably are forgetting they have kids, let alone that there's a youth activity. So when you bring a solution, that's a huge help to them. They're like, great, they've got it but do it tenderly. Maybe just mention it if you're okay with this. Talk comfortably and positively about their loved one. Um, people are like, well, I just, I don't want to bring up their name because if I bring up their name, maybe they'll grieve. I can assure you they're thinking every minute about the loss of their loved one. So bringing up their name is not going to initiate grieving. It actually will facilitate healing. Talk about them. Talk comfortably and openly about positive things. If there's negative things, that's probably not the time to deal with those. But talk about it. Ah, man. I, just hours after Jolene passed, I got a whole series of photos from Spain, from Tim, uh, from when we'd been over to visit. Just fun things that Jolene and I had done in Spain together. Boom, I love those. Still got them. Those, those, you, they want to talk about their loved one. Okay. Draw them out by using questions more than declarations and then give them time to respond. They're not going to answer right away. 
How are you feeling right now? They're not going to answer right away, probably. Just, be, just pause for a little bit. Let them know that it's safe, that you're there. Maybe ask a follow-up question. How is today different than yesterday? Hit the question from maybe two, three different angles. And what you may find out is if they trust you, then all of a sudden, look out, here it comes. And they're just going to begin to unload. And again, like I said before, as they unload, it may not be super, uh, um, uh, it may not have a lot of coherence to it. That's because they're just trying to process through it. Don't answer, just affirm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just affirm. Just, just let them pour out their soul. As they're doing it, they're unloading. As you listen carefully, they're feeling loved. They're feeling affirmed. As you're hearing this, you're hearing how, where their faith is, what their view of God is, what their view of circumstances are. Just listen, listen. Don't feel like you have to have an answer, that you've got to preach a message to them. All right, if there's clear error, then you probably need to deal with that. Give them a safe place to grieve and be a mess. I had, because um, I was on my own for, a, a, um, for about nine months. Um, I had some family around, but for about nine months, I was just totally alone. And I, there was one family who just said, our guest bedroom is yours. I could go there anytime. I would just text Chad, I'm coming over. He's like, it's open. I wanted to be around people, not in the house alone, and I wanted a place where it was okay. He and his wife were just down the hallway watching football. I'd be in their guest room. It was a place where I could cry, I could nap, I could be a mess. And when it was all done, I'd walk out and they'd just give me a hug and say, you want coffee? Of course. And it was just a safe place. Provide a safe place for them to grieve and be really, really messy. Don't fix the mess. It's all right. Okay, just let them be real. Give them respectful space to navigate as they need. All right, uh, this is a hard one, so be careful if they're starting to quit jobs, sell houses, get remarried, change careers, all within the first couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm being facetious there. Be careful. That's where you do want to kind of step in and be like, hey, hold on. But in smaller ways, they're maybe going to navigate things in strange ways. I'll give you an illustration. Church. Church can be brutally hard. It's a place where you've always gone with a spouse, if it's a spouse, or with your kids, or maybe your parents are in the church, whatever the loss may be. Church can actually be a really hard thing. So, so don't approach them, be like, you know, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together when they're not ready to always be at church. Okay, that'd be a one illustration. Lead the church to function in providing care more than attempting to be the primary caregiver. I talked about that before. Stay in touch with them about their needs. This is just a constant checking in, just a regular checking in. You don't need to necessarily do it, but have somebody in the church that is checking in. How are you today? What do you need today? Where are things today? It may be done by text, a phone call, a drop by, but just... Don't expect them to come to you. Constantly go to them, particularly in those first probably two months. Um, stay in touch with them about their needs. And that's all that I, I have.